This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now, here is your host, nurse practitioner Cynthia Thurlow. So today I am delighted to have Megan Ramos. She is a Canadian clinical educator and expert on therapeutic fasting and low-carb diets, having guided more than 14,000 people worldwide. She's also the author of the New York Times bestseller, Life in the Fasting Lane. We had Yvonne earlier. She's wonderful. (laughs) Megan has co-founded The Fasting Method with her colleague, Jason Fung. It's such a pleasure to have you here this morning. Thank you for carving time out of your busy schedule. Oh, thanks for having me on, Cynthia. So I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, your journey, you know, what brought you to intermittent fasting as a start? I I think the beginning journey is always so interesting to give some background and perspective to the listeners. So how did you actually come to intermittent fasting? You know, how did that become a strategy that you started becoming more interested in? Yes. So my personal life and professional life kind of crashed head on. And I think I just ended up being in the right place at the right time. So I attribute a lot of my success to just pure dumb luck. As a child growing up, my mother had all kinds of bizarre illnesses that stem from genetic issues. But the doctors were just treating the side effects of each symptom of these genetic issues, rather than trying to figure out what was actually going on. And of course, each medicine medication caused another five side effects and then other diseases. So from a really young age, my parents involved me in the conversations and they're bright people and they were very frustrated that no one was trying to find the root cause. So from you know the age of nine, I sort of became obsessed with trying to help my mother find out the root cause of her health conditions. And this sort of is what spawned my career path going into clinical research and, and medical sciences. 15, I had this great opportunity to do research at this nephrology clinic. And it was actually the largest medical program of any kind in North America. And I was partnered up with a young nephrologist named Dr. Jason Fung at that age. And I just became so passionate about the field, uh, primarily because I got to really know the patients. Unfortunately, because of dialysis, they come in, you know, three to four times a week for several hours at a time. And I got to form these strong bonds. And I was trying to do research at the time to hopefully slow down the progression of their illness or improve their quality of life, which I had tremendous passion for and then pursued education in that area as well. Now, out of school, in my mid-20s, I started to become depressed. I realized that medicine wasn't really focusing on root cause, wasn't trying to solve the problem. More of the research that was coming into our program was pharmaceutical. And I thought, maybe this isn't the career, like, this is depressing. This isn't for me. My whole family's in law. So at 25, 26, I thought that would be an easier transition for me if I was going to switch careers at that point. So I decided to take a year off of school before going back to pursue further study and study for my LSATs, but also get my own health together. I have this long-standing history of cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes in my family. And I grew up on the fast food diet, especially with a sick mother and busy parents. So I said, okay, you know, like you can't be practicing one thing, but preaching another. So I 
due to have access to a lot of resources. I got the fanciest dietitian in the country. I got my own personal trainer. I started eating all of this fruit out of nowhere, forcing myself to eat all these grains even when I wasn't hungry. And the end result was me becoming more sick, becoming obese, and then eventually developing type 2 diabetes. So my diabetes diagnosis came at the age of 27. Now, in hindsight, I did have metabolic syndrome. I was a very skinny child, but I had fatty liver at 12 and PCOS at 14. Wow. The doctors couldn't make sense of it though, because my BMI was underweight. Mind Mm -hmm. you, my body composition, I now know was terrible. I was little, but I was a little sack of fat, but they just said these issues would go away as I got older because I wasn't obese. So it didn't make sense. So it it must just resolve itself. Mm -hmm. Obviously that didn't happen. So in 27, here I was metabolic disaster. And I knew what the life plan was for a type 2 diabetic. I watched people die from type 2 diabetes as a profession. So what was I going to do? And my colleague Jason said, well, why don't you try a low-carb diet? And I started to laugh. And I said, I've only ever ordered food or boiled water to cook pasta. Like, what the heck? Like, I don't even know how to cook. I have no idea what half these foods are. Like, I didn't eat real food. So he said, well, then why don't you just try not eating? It worked for a friend of mine. And I've actually been doing some research into the therapeutic uses of fasting. And we hear all about the spiritual ones from our patients being in the most diversity in the world. So we Ramadan and then just regular religious fasting throughout the week. But is there something more to it? So he said, maybe it's just easier for you not to eat. And I thought, well, I'll give that a go since eating hasn't been going well for me. And well, within six months, I reversed my type 2 diabetes, PCOS, fatty liver. I lost over 60 pounds. I've lost over 80 pounds and I've maintained that weight loss for nine years now. It's been a radical change. And of course, when you start to feel better, you want to eat better. So you feel good on your eating days. So fasting enabled me to really have the energy to and clear mind to try to learn how to eat new foods in new ways. I eat all kinds of stuff now that just blows my mother's mind. Like that's my daughter eating foods, you know, that aren't beige. (laughs) So it's been a real journey. Patients were inspired by my success. So we started fasting patients in our clinic. Then the clinic became overwhelming. I started doing online counseling because that was easier. And then we developed an online program for self-guided fasting and nutrition education and support in conjunction with the online coaching. And we've added in behavior coaching to help with food addictions and mindset issues. So it's just become this huge, crazy career transition, but one that I'm very grateful for. It's nothing like seeing people get better every day. Exactly. Well, there's so many incredible nuggets in there. Obviously inspired by, you know, your mom's own health journey, and then also seeing patients who were struggling. You know, I think for me, I worked in cardiology as an MP for 16 years, and I kept saying there has to be a better way because I had younger and younger patients coming to us with exactly what you're talking about, metabolic syndrome, which we're going to pivot on shortly talking about like seeing this constellation of diseases and disorders and more and more medications and patients really not having the degree of support they needed to make sustainable lifestyle changes. You know, there was no other way to put it. There was a product line that a lot of the cardiologists and the NPs would use. And, you know, I would sometimes get dinked because I didn't buy into this processed 
crap that we were giving off to our patients. They said, but they've lost weight. I said, but it's not sustainable because we don't teach them how to eat. And then we don't teach them sustainable strategies that they can use forever. When they stop buying the packaged stuff, they're not going to be able to sustain that. But what I find really interesting is that you mentioned that as a child, young, you know, teenager, tween, you were diagnosed with not only fatty liver, but also PCOS. And yet, you know, your physicians missed opportunities to be able to really talk to you. And, and I don't think at that time they probably had the tools, a lot of the tools that we're seeing now that are being utilized. I speak from personal experience because when I started <laughs> clinically as an NP, gosh, more than 20 years ago, we just didn't have a lot of the resources that we have now. There's definitely been a movement. And so let's kind of unpack, you know, some of what you talked about. So when we're talking about metabolic syndrome for listeners who are not familiar with that term as a constellation of diseases, can you kind of touch on what metabolic syndrome is, what it incorporates and why it's so significant? Yeah. So metabolic syndromes are synonymous with insulin resistance. Those words can be used interchangeably, but hear anybody now saying I've been diagnosed with insulin resistance. And insulin resistance means that over time, your body sort of developed this toxic level of insulin or condition called hyperinsulinemia that leads to the creation of or causation of insulin resistance. And it can affect the body in a multitude of ways. So we see obesity, especially around the trunk section or midsections, type 2 diabetes, polycystic ovarian syndrome. We're talking a lot nowadays about how dementia and Alzheimer's are like the third type or third branch of type 2 diabetes. We see really increased risk of cardiovascular disease. So this insulin resistance or the root cause of metabolic syndrome is this toxic level of insulin in the body over time causing problems. So what we're trying to do is to address insulin resistance by two-factor approach is what we use. So we use, of course, what you eat. So if you eat foods that are high in processed and refined carbohydrates, those foods are rapidly digested. They cause the body to secrete a lot of insulin, very high volumes of insulin, and that leads to insulin resistance. But there's a second factor that leads to the development of insulin resistance, and that's a constant stimulus of insulin in the body. So this is where meal timing comes into play. And we have so many people that have reached out to me saying, I eat a great diet. Like I eat real foods, real vegetables, wild fish, you know, grass-fed beef, but I can't lose that last 15 pounds. I can't get my A1C below 5.2. You know, what's the deal here? And when we look, they're just eating all day long. Mm-hmm. So they're constantly having even a little bit of insulin stimulus all day long. So people, I think that's something that's commonly missed and where fasting comes in is that eating a low-carb or ketogenic diet doesn't add more insulin to the system, that's great. But insulin resistance itself increases internal insulin levels. It drives the insulin levels up. So you need to be mindful about when you're snacking and by fasting, you can actually help break that cycle of insulin resistance by driving the insulin levels down for a sustained period of time. So metabolic syndrome, really what it comes down to is these toxic levels of insulin that are produced by poor eating habits. Eat these low-fat, high-sugar foods and eat them all day long. You need to be eating six to eight times a day or whatever the new nuggets of wisdom (laughs) from mainstream (laughs) is. And that's a guaranteed way, just like it was with me when I started following the Canadian Food Guide to develop type 2 diabetes in a short period of time. 
And that's such valuable information. So if you're listening and you've been told you're insulin resistant, you suspect you might be insulin resistant, these are really great methodologies for really examining how frequently you're eating, how frequently you're fasting. And, you know, if we kind of reflect back on ancestral health patterns or even looking at, you know, back to biblical times, you mentioned, you know, the references that you have a very multicultural community in Toronto. And so you have people that are fasting throughout the year, and that's just part of their religious principles. But when we think about the ways that our body are really designed to thrive, it, we're meant to eat and eat less often and not eating throughout the day. And I know that, you know, one of many dogmas that I would like to dispel is that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And what's interesting is in the midst of a talk, and so I kind of was delving back to see, like, when did we transition from eating probably two solid meals a day to eating more frequently? And it was back when the, you know, the processed food industry or Kellogg's, there were sanatoriums, and they would convince people that they needed to eat a, a light breakfast and that light breakfast incorporated a lot of, you know, processed cereals and, you know, carbohydrate dense options as opposed to what people years ago would eat. You know, they were working out in the fields, they were they were farming, they needed a substantial breakfast because they would eat breakfast and then they probably wouldn't eat for five or six hours. And so we've made this, you know, tragic kind of pivot with the rise of the processed food industry and we're really looking at what's changed in the last 50 plus years. And much to your point where you said, you know, that the concept of snacking. And I know that I used to tell my patients, oh yeah, three meals a day, snacks in between. You know, you don't want to, you have to stoke your metabolism, got to keep our blood sugar stable. And yet we're really not thinking that our bodies are acutely kind of designed to be able to keep our blood sugar stable. We don't need to stoke our metabolism. We don't need to eat frequently for that to happen. Unfortunately, I think insulin is in many ways has gotten a bad rap. You know, I try to explain to people insulin's absolutely necessary, but we want to keep insulin secretion to be an infrequent occurrence and we want it to be a spike in the day and then have it go back down. And so when we're talking about intermittent fasting, when we're talking about lower carbohydrate meals, we're not saying carbs are bad. Yeah. Carbs frequently and processed carbs are things you you don't want to be making the mainstay of your diet. And what I find fascinating is on social media, people put pictures of donuts and granola bars and chocolate milk. And I just say, you know, recognize it for what it is. It's dessert. It's just dessert. So if you're eating dessert for breakfast every single morning, you're really doing yourself a tremendous disservice. So when your patients come to you and they're starting off on this, you know, low carb intermittent fasting journey, what are some of the strategies that you use? Cause I think there's tremendous fear. You know, people fear they're going to starve. They fear hunger. They haven't felt true intrinsic hunger. And so what are some of the differentiators when you're, you know, kind of first walking people through these new strategies to take some of the fear out of it? I always say we want to take fear out of it because it shouldn't be something that we look at as a negative. It's a positive. We spend a lot of time talking to new individuals who aren't necessarily keen on fasting, mm -hmm. but it's been recommended to them by a trusted physician or a trusted mm -hmm. friend. And just sort of just regurgitating the past, you know, going back to my grandparents' days mm -hmm. and my great grandparents' days, there were three meals. Mm -hmm. The foods at three meals weren't necessarily, you know, ideal. Even in my grandmother's generation, there was some processed and refined foods mm -hmm. happening, but there was a lot less disease occurring mm -hmm. at a younger age. 
privileged. So they would eat their three meals a day. There would be no snacking before dinner. There would be no snacking after dinner because you had to save your appetite for your meal. And if you were hungry after your meal, that meant you just didn't eat enough of the broccoli on your plate. So we go through, you know, we sort of remind people about the past. Mm -hmm. And then I always ask people this one question. And I ask, if you're trying to lose weight or bring down your blood glucose levels, depending on the primary issue, and if you're looking to cut out what you consider to be real food while trying to reduce your sugars or your weight, and so no, not foods that are very obviously junk foods to the mainstream population, what real foods are you cutting out? So bread, pasta, you know, like minute rice, like mm-hmm. these junky kind of foods. And I say, well, okay, those are all low fat foods. So why are you cutting out the fat foods or the low calorie foods, you know, to lower your blood sugar levels or to lose weight? So we try to shift things into perspective and say, it can be as simple as just not snacking in between meals. Mm -hmm. And then talk about like carbs are not the demon. Mm -hmm. I eat plenty of non-starchy vegetables, leafy greens, I have sweet potato on the weekends, mixing things up, incorporate berries when they're in season on the weekends weekends, but trying to transition to all of these new foods. So we try not to put a big emphasis on what you can't have. I was recording a video for our own community this morning. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep. We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of beam minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water and you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.bminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.bminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered 
armor colostrum. And the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armor's colostrum strengthens immunity, ignites metabolism, fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mucosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And armorous colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced, and it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. And I said that when I look back to my previous diet, I laugh now because it was so boring. I either had potatoes with everything in the form of French fries usually, or I had pasta or pizza. Like it was boring. But when I went to try to cut out those foods, I just didn't feel like there was any foods available. Mm -hmm. So instead of focusing on what you can't have, really focusing on what you can have, the variety that's available, the different fats you can utilize for cooking, herbs and spices that you can utilize for seasoning and to really changing up the taste. There's a thousand different ways to prepare various side dishes. So it doesn't have to be boring. It's just new and different. So, you know, we talk a lot about about focusing on what you can have. We talked to you about the fasting mindset. During fasting, there's healing going on. So thinking of the insulin levels coming down to a healthy range within the body, thinking of the blood sugar being burnt, thinking of the fat being burnt from the body, the cellular healing. So really trying to let people know that sometimes when they might go through these little bumps where they're not feeling the best during a fast, that's a sign that something really magical is starting to kick in and that it should be sort of positively embraced as long as you know they're feeling okay and some water can help them through. And we talk when you enter the feeding period again that you've done all of this healing. So now it's time to focus on some really positive rebuilding. So you've just cleansed your system of a lot of junk. What good healthy fats and proteins and healthy carbs can you put into your system to help rebuild it after all of that healing? So we spend a lot of time doing some mindset work with individuals who are brand new to this whole philosophy and have some reservations about it. I think that's really important and oftentimes overlooked. I find that many people come to intermittent fasting with the sole focus being weight loss. 
And yet what I remind them of is people that thrive with intermittent fasting, it's really, they come to it for the weight loss, but what they stay for all the other benefits. And, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you want people to be thinking while they're fasting, all the things that are going on, not just the mindset, spiritual peace, keeping your insulin level low, but all the profound benefits that come from that. And I think that's oftentimes overlooked. I have people that will get very disappointed because they haven't lost five pounds in a week, like they would with the latest potion powder or, or pill that's out there that's, you know, indicating that, you know, you just have to take this one, you know, I always call it the craptastic idea of the month, but <laughs> yeah. you take this, you, you bind to this one methodology and that's going to change everything. But, you know, really reiterating for people that this is something they can do throughout their lifetime. It's not just you do this for two or three weeks and also reminding people, you know, if you look at the research, sometimes there's differences based on gender. You know, sometimes men will lose weight faster. It drives women crazy when their significant other or spouse, my husband's a good example. I like to remind him, I'm like, he does intermittent fasting and he can maintain his weight he had in college very easily. And then I have lots of patients who struggle, like they'll say it took them months and months and months to start really losing weight. And, and I like to remind them there are other factors at play. So when people come to intermittent fasting and, and maybe they're getting all the psychological benefits, they feel better, maybe their clothes are a little looser. What are some of the things that you kind of guide them through in, in terms of reminding them it's, you know, it's kind of a slow and steady process. It's not meant to necessarily be an instantaneous change or they instantaneously lose weight, although that is always a benefit. How do you kind of work through those mindset challenges? Well, there's a few different strategies that we implement. You know, we do spend a lot of time educating women on the hormonal differences between men and women, especially nowadays are happening. Younger women are entering perimenopause younger. We're seeing estrogen deficiency much younger. So talking about the, those hurdles, but how fasting and a real food nutrition approach uh, in combination with the other healthcare measures that they're taking can be effective long term. And then just reminding people, everyone that comes to us for the most part has tried at least five different types of diets before mm -hmm. and rapid weight loss has always led to rapid regain. Mm -hmm. And insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. So to embrace this as a journey that is not linear, that is a process and, you know, the slow and steady, you know, often wins the race. So just lots of community support and reminding each other that supporting each other, encouraging progress, not perfection is something that we really try to drive home to the women, especially in the community and different health concerns too. It takes 10 to 15 years to develop type 2 diabetes and it takes a while to, to reverse it. But the good news is that you can reverse it and that you can lose the weight, but it's not going to happen overnight. So those are important factors. And one thing that I drive home to the weight loss population is that weight loss can't be your why for doing this. It absolutely can't be your why. No one was more excited than I was the day I fit into a size four pair of jeans. Like I was thrilled. And, you know, I love makeup. I love doing my hair. It didn't happen this Monday morning. But, you know, I love clothes and fashion and all of that stuff. So I know that there's value and pride to feeling good in your own skin and to doing these extra little perks, you know, to that make you feel good. But it can't be your why. Why do you want to lose weight? Well, so you reduce your risk of cancer, you reduce your risk of heart disease, type 2 diabetes, 
And what's that going to permit you to do? Well, be a healthier parent, be a healthier grandparent, you know, not require my children to have to labor over me as I age. I can be healthy and I can help them out with their families. I can travel the world, you know, and do it healthier at 70 than I could have at 30. So really talking to the individuals, finding out what's driving them. Okay, well, what are you going to do when you lose weight? Well, some people say, you know, just to be able to walk the supermarket with my wife and not feel grumpy or like a drag or, you know, just being able to go on hikes with my husband again. And, you know, for me growing up with a sick mother, my big why was I've got to get rid of this diabetes because Mm -hmm. all I do is watch people die from it. I want to be a mom and I don't want my children to have this. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't think of my mother as a burden. But if I have knowledge and power that can prevent my children from having to go through what I went through growing up, absolutely. And I want to be healthier at 70 than I was at 30. And I know it's possible. So thinking of these other whys, and we always in our asking for beginner groups or with new coaching clients, we encourage everyone, you've got to have a deeper why. And if you have that deeper why, you stay focused on it, the weight loss will come as part of that journey. Well, you bring up such great points. Unfortunately, I think it's something that we've conditioned patients to believing that, you know, weight loss is meant to be spontaneous. It's meant to happen quickly. You know, when I was working clinically in cardiology and I would tell people that if you lose five pounds or 10 pounds in a week, it's not going to stay off much to your point. And so you want something, these to be sustainable strategies, want people to have the right mindset. Unfortunately, I think it was a multi-trillion dollar business, you know, the weight loss industry. And it's because we've convinced patients that that's the only way that it works. And so this requires a little bit more effort and requires a big mindset shift. And, you know, weight loss or weight gain for that matter, I I always like to remind people, there's so many factors that come into play. You know, you touched on one of them, you know, hormone imbalances, but it can be sleep quality. It can be stress management. I find, you know, middle-aged men and women really start to struggle. Maybe they got away with a lot in their 20s and 30s and all of a sudden those (laughs) dietary changes or if they're eating like they were 18, you know, the volume of food, the quality of food, suddenly it stops working for them. You know, underlying food sensitivities and and here in the United States, there's I would say there's a good push for people to, you know, do like a spot, I call it a spot elimination diet, you know, like a whole 30. If you're trying to figure out, you know, what might be going on, sometimes pulling out the more inflammatory foods like gluten and grains and dairy as just examples, processed sugars being another one. People sometimes have these insightful experiences that all of a sudden they're like, you're right. Like gluten doesn't work for me anymore. Dairy doesn't work for me. I end up getting hate mail when I start talking about these things. And I I recognize those are a lot of comfort foods, but there's always alternatives. And I would imagine there's a lot of that in play with the patient population you're working with as well, you know, finding alternatives, like maybe you're not having, you know, copious amounts of rice, but you're going to rice cauliflower as an example, which is a stinky alternative as in smelly, but is a great alternative nonetheless. But reminding people there's so many different reasons why we gain weight and it's not just the insulin piece. There's so many factors that come into play. I think body composition is something that nobody spends enough time Mm -hmm. talking about. And now when people report to me that, oh, I've lost five pounds, I'll say congratulations on the fat loss, not the weight loss. Because I think I'm trying to brainwash my community anyway to focus on the body composition. Because yes, I'm five foot three and I've been almost 200 pounds at my heaviest. But 
I've also been 97 pounds and I've been morbidly obese. Mm -hmm. And I actually, I'm 120 pounds today, but I have less fat than I did at 97 pounds. And to compare photos of me from back then to me now, I look skinnier. I look healthier. I look fitter. There's more muscle definition. So really educating people on body composition. And the piece that is often missing when people are doing more therapeutic levels of fasting, 24-hour fasting, true alternate daily fasting, the occasional longer fast of three or four or five days, is that we do activate our sympathetic nervous system uh, during the fast to produce these counter-regulatory hormones that do all these wonderful magical things with my fast, like maintain our resting metabolic rate and enable us to burn fat and to perform gluconeogenesis, mm-hmm. you know, to give our body that little bit of glucose it needs throughout the fast. But we also produce human growth hormone. Mm-hmm. And you don't grow while you're fasting, but when you re-enter the feeding cycle, you have the presence of elevated human growth hormone. Mm-hmm. I assume there's some amino acids from some protein consumption whenever you eat insulin's gonna be present. So you have these three factors that enables the ability for people to gain lean mass. So we've seen people improve their bone mass density substantially. We've seen people put on lean mass. And as you get healthier, you have more energy, you do more activities, even though you might not recognize it. So we actually do see body composition changing in positive ways, but that not always being reflected on the scale. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget one woman back when we had the clinic, she was crying, her weight hadn't changed, but she had lost a few inches around her waist. How could she have failed? You know, she had been doing all this fasting, eating all these right foods, but clearly she lost a substantial amount of body fat, mm-hmm. but she gained some lean mass in some form. And in this particular woman, we did see huge improvements with your osteoporosis over the course of her time in our program. So, and improved muscle definition. So people's attachment to the scale and this idea of a certain number in their head of 120, 40, 60, whatever that number is for you, it doesn't doesn't necessarily mean anything. And I really wish there was more of a push out there to talk mm-hmm. about body composition as well and to really focus on fat loss loss and not weight loss in this total weight number. Well, I think that's a great explanation. You know, the non-scale victories are the ones that we really want to embrace. Mm-hmm. And so we find that we reframe quite often. We're reframing. We'll say, okay, well, let's focus on the things you just mentioned. You have more mental clarity. Your sleep is better. Your clothes fit better. You have more energy to get outside and exercise, play with your children, grandchildren, etc. Now, I'd like to pivot just a little bit and mm-hmm. I see a lot of the fit pros that are out there and they're telling people that, you know, it's okay if you consume food while fasting and that's totally fine. And so I would love for you to kind of touch on, you know, what your personal methodology or, you know, philosophy is on this. It's very different when someone's new to fasting and maybe for them, they need to have a little bit of butter in their coffee, or they decide that, you know, they're still breaking up with cream in their coffee. And so, you know, it's a slow transition or, you know, what can I put in my coffee to make it taste less bitter? You know, we finally got to the point where we started telling people just to put a little bit of salt in their coffee as Mm -hmm. one alternative, or, you know, I find green tea less bitter than black tea. So I drink green tea, but finding little ways for people to kind of make the transition from, you know, 
snacking with three meals a day to no snacking to, you know, dipping their toe in the fasting pond and starting out with, you know, shorter fasting windows. You know, I always say, don't go from zero to 60. Don't go from, you know, a 12 hour fasting window that you're doing overnight, just between dinner and breakfast to, you know, trying to push to 18 or 20 hours. You're kind of setting yourself up for having problems, but I know there are different, you know, intermittent fasting people that are out there that feel differently about the question I'm about to ask you. What is your thought about what people consume while fasted that won't break their fast? Because there are obviously different philosophies. You know, I've seen you can have up to a teaspoon of MCT oil. I've seen you can have certain herbs like ginger that won't break your fast. What is your particular philosophy on this for someone that's a seasoned intermittent fasting person, not someone who's new to it? And I would say we do baby steps with the newbies, but for someone that's been doing this strategy for a while... So we call them fasting training wheels. So things like adding you know, cream or any sort of fat to your tea or coffee, or even having a tablespoon of coconut fats mm-hmm. to boost you through the fast, bone broth, they're all training wheels. And we liken fasting to a muscle. So if you never utilize that muscle, you might need some assistance to get started. But they're not beverages that you want to be drinking all day. So you need to sit down and have them like you would have a meal if you're consuming a fatty beverage, for example, or a cup of broth or bowl of broth on your fasting day. You can't nurse them for hours and and sip on them throughout the day. But as your fasting muscle grows stronger, if you don't need them, you have to be conscious about it. And am I having this for comfort? Or am I having it because I'm really struggling to hit this mark that I need to hit to start to get results and to strengthen my fasting muscle. And you've got to find that balance. And we often talk about dishing ourselves out some tough love. And we often do these challenges in our community where we say, all right, let's cut out one training meal. So Mm -hmm. even if you only have one, then cut it out. Let's try to rip off the bandaid and push through with, you know, water and salts and see how things go in that perspective or black tea or plain herbal tea, black coffee. Mm -hmm. And let's see, but we have to, you know, encourage this tough love, encourage people Mm -hmm. to you know, be real with themselves. And then as people make that progression, say from three meals a day with no snacks to two meals a day to one meal every other day to trying to... Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one interpreting your data and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 
12 month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I've used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code E. WP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. Mighty Maca is a superfood drink mix full of 30 plus natural ingredients, and it was formulated by Dr. Anna Kabeca during her healing journey. Mighty Maca Plus ingredients, which include nourishing ingredients like organic maca powder, turmeric, quercetin, broccoli, parsley, trans resveratrol, pomegranate extract, and more, were carefully selected for immune support to sustain energy, provide mental clarity, and improve recovery. It also tastes delicious. It supports healthy detoxification and alkalinity in the body, balances hormones, fights free radicals, and neutralizes lactic acid, all while increasing your energy and vitality. It helps improve your digestion and reignites your libido. It's a powerful superfood drink mix that needs to be part of your daily routine. And Dr. Anna is offering my listeners 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. That's 10% off your first per that's 10% off your first purchase by using the link DrAnna.com slash Cynthia. It's delicious and nutritious. We do a whole fast, you know, for an entire day, three times mm -hmm. a week, whatever they need to do in order to get their results. Cause it will vary for everyone. Mm -hmm. Again, it depends a lot on the diet. Are you eating inflammatory foods, food mm -hmm. sensitivities? So, you know, where's that sweet spot for fasting for you? And if we have to increase, say you're going from a 24 hour fast to, you know, a 36 hour full day fast, that might be tough. So, okay, maybe you need to reintroduce the cup of broth again or reintroduce the table spoon of fat. But once that 36 hour fast becomes manageable, then you've got to cut it out. You've got to eliminate it. So we really try to educate. If you need it, use it sensibly, but you've got to cut it out because especially if your goal is, you know, fat loss too, mm -hmm. are you going to want to be burning that fat that you're consuming during your fast? Or are you going to want to be burning your body fat? And so if you're drinking something like a bulletproof tea or a bulletproof mm -hmm. coffee, I'm a big tea drinker. So I always refer to yeah. that first, like that's going to fuel you for five to six hours. So if you're doing a 24 hour fast, do you want to spend five to six of those hours, you know, fueling off of that coffee, you still have other glycogen stores and whatnot to work through, you might only be actually fasting for just a few hours of that 24 hour period. Is it really worth it? And most people say no, they want to be fueling off of the fat and they're, you know, uh, tricep area, their hips, their thighs, their bellies. 
And so that's what we need to work on. So scaling back the fats and the teas and coffees, looking for our alternatives. Salt is a great one because drinking the caffeine does definitely deplete you of salt and it can definitely make coffee mm-hmm. taste a lot less bitter. Utilizing things like cinnamon mm-hmm. in teas to give it some sweetness. Even we'll have people boil cinnamon sticks in water and use that water to make their coffee to give it some added sweetness for their morning coffee. So there are all different strategies you can use to make these, you know, comfort beverages more suitable for fasting days too. Well, I love the training wheel analogy. And I think that's a a really important one just to identify that you know, it's a journey. It's not meant to go from zero to 60. That's really the rarity. Every once in a while, I'll get a new patient who can do that. But I always say you're the outlier. So in the group, don't play that up as much. I don't ever want people not to be real. But I'm like, most people are really, if they're coming from a standard American diet and they've got quite a bit of weight to lose. But I love that we're aligned on this because what I sometimes get are questions on social media, like, oh, this Fit Pro, and I hate to call it the fit pros, but more often than not, that's who someone will reference. This person said X, I can have under 50 calories while I'm fasted and it doesn't count. I'm like, of course it counts. I said, what do you think happens when you eat those grapes? You know, you're going to spike an insulin response. That's going to actually break your fast. Now I want to be mindful of your time, but I do want to touch on one more topic. Now, what are your thoughts on really long fasts, like the three to five day fast? I know, you know, Victor Longo's research is one example. You know, he's, you know, a huge advocate of people doing these really prolonged fasts. And some people will do them on a quarterly basis. Do you personally do longer fasts? Or are you kind of in the mindset, I'm on in the under 48 hours kind of longer fast people? I don't think there's a one size fits all protocol Mm -hmm. for anybody. So I myself actually do about four longer fasts a year, ranging from five to seven days. A big reason why is, you know, I travel an insane amount. This pandemic has been a huge shock for me. (laughs) I don't think I've been home for a summer in seven years because we've always been on the road. It's not uncommon for me to be in three countries in a 24-hour period talking about fasting. My life's truly bizarre. So there's inflammation. You do your best to Mm -hmm. be mindful of what you eat on the road. But that processed vegetable oil that they throw down on the grill that they cook your steak on, all of that leads to inflammation in the Mm -hmm. system. So a lot of people will say, well, why do you need to do these extended fasts? Well, this is the reality of my circumstances. So, you know, it's not like I'm on the road eating Mm -hmm. junk food, but they sneak in or Mm -hmm. you get something that a meat that's been brined in sugar and you don't realize it till you check your CGM or you just feel it later on. So doing these longer fasts for me is just a reset. And then the stress and time zone changes, all of that, the sleep, it all just helps to like reset my hormones and just makes me feel like I've done some seasonal cleaning to my system when my life is in a chaotic state. Now, when it comes to metabolic individuals doing an extended fast, There are so many patients that Jason and I would see in the clinic, like they're hanging on the cliff with one finger and they're about Mm -hmm. to fall off in terms of their health. And they're going up 10 units of insulin a month at this point. And with them, we will, if they're up for it and they're able to come in for proper medical monitoring, we will fast the heck out of them to get Mm -hmm. them off insulin. And sometimes this is 7, 14, 21 days. But usually if we do one of those prolonged fasts, we can drop them off of 100 or 150 units of Mm -hmm. insulin. And then when they go to intermittent fasting, they just don't need it. 
So we remove this variable if we feel like they are hanging off of the mm -hmm. cliff. Every now, there's this mentality, it's human nature. I don't know what's wrong with our species, but <laughs> we're driven towards extremes. So mm -hmm. we all are. And so, you know, several years ago when Jason and I first started fasting, people, one day of fasting was alarming. But then people started to come around that, okay, a 24-hour fast has its health benefits. So therefore, if a 24-hour fast has health benefits, then a 24-hour or 24-day fast must be better. Mm -hmm. And this is just human nature to drive towards excessiveness and extremes, I've noticed. So we really talk a lot about how you know, like 90 to 95% of our progress really comes down to finding intermittent fasting strategies that we can do consistently and focusing on eating real foods that work for our system that aren't inflammatory. And that sometimes the rest of the journey, you know, that extra 5 to 10% might take a little bit more extended fasting. So maybe a three-day fast, which we often find women prefer to do three days of fasting back to back than to do three days of fasting spread out throughout the week, like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, intermittent mm -hmm. schedule for hormonal reasons, because our ghrelin levels drop so dramatically between the 48 and 72 hour mark. It's just easier for them to stay in a fast. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that does end up being a base fast for a woman, but every now and then some of these longer fasts can really knock down and really keep that insulin level running low for a sustained period of time and have its benefits. So I definitely think there is a place for extended fasting with certain individuals. I do think there are benefits for doing them periodically for healthy individuals where it's suitable, but I don't think that's where the majority of people get results. So there are a lot of people that will say, hey, Megan, I want to do a five-day fast every day for like the sec or every week for the next six months. I'm like, you're crazy. Like that's not sustainable. Right. Like there's all kinds of nutrient issues. Like you mm -hmm. probably have terrible gut health and already have several nutrient deficiencies despite being overly nourished from a, a, a fat scent. So we can't do that. It's going to be too much stress on the body and it's just not, not reasonable. But there's a lot of people that have that drive and we try to say, okay, you know, like 90% of the time, we've got to figure out how to make this work with the proper intermittent fast and the proper diet if you want to be successful. And sure, 5 to 10% of the time, we can play around with doing some longer fasts for various reasons if it is applicable to you. Well, I can't thank you enough for your time today. And, and you may have kind of convinced me that I need to be doing some quarterly longer fast. And <laughs> much like you, although I was not in three different time zones and three different countries in a 24-hour period of time, I think for so many of us, our lives kind of took an abrupt stop in March. But you might have convinced me that I need to reconsider doing longer fasts. I mean, I, there are lots of benefits and we'll have to touch on that next time. Hopefully <laughs> I can convince you to come back and maybe we'll do a whole episode talking about the benefits of longer fasting. But thank you so much for your time today. Can you let the listeners know how best to find you and find all the wonderful work that you and Dr. Fung are doing? Yes, absolutely. So our website is thefastingmethod.com and we have a Facebook group, Fasting Method Network, but we have our social handles are at the Fasting Method for Instagram and Twitter. We have a YouTube channel and you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at Megan J. Ramos. I'm a lot more active on Instagram. Twitter's kind of like the wild, wild west for me. <laughs> yeah. These people are ruthless and it's very political, but uh, I should be more active on there. <laughs> well, we need more active women on Twitter. I'll have to message you there and try to get you to be more active. But it is the 
the manosphere there for sure. But definitely we need more smart, articulate women to be, you know, sharing their insights and their knowledge with everyone. But thank you again for your time today. Thank you, Cynthia. Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review. Subscribe and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness.